welcome to our new season of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they've faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them and what tips favour girls of my age. Today my guest is Kate Nichols OBE, who is currently the CEO of UK Hospitality, which is basically the trade association for all of the hospitality businesses in the UK. So that means that it's all the pubs, bars, restaurants, hotels, visitor attractions, basically anywhere that you go where you enjoy yourself. (laughs) So thanks for joining me today, Kate. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role that you now have today? Yes, of course. And thank you very much for inviting me to join you. I mean, I've had quite a a varied and and diverse career but with a common theme of politics and pubs and hospitality running through it. But it's all sort of happened by chance. Um, So when I graduated, I worked as a researcher in the European Parliament and the House of Commons. I worked in um, CCHQ for a political party. Um, And then I went and joined Whitbread in corporate affairs, doing corporate communications, lobbying, government relations, um, media and investor relations. I then went and worked in a public affairs agency doing the same role for a large number of clients, but all in the consumer affairs space are always in hospitality, retail, travel and tourism. Um, and then I went and set up on my own um, and had my own business so that I could fit that around uh, working around having children. Um, and then as part of that, one of my clients was the Trade Association for Pubs, Bars and Restaurants. Um, and that expanded in 2018 to take in hotels and contract catering and create UK hospitality, um, which is where I sit as CEO at the moment. Cool. So when you were at school, did you have any idea about, you know, who you wanted to be, what you wanted to do in your future? Or did that happen when you perhaps a little bit older later in life? I had a very clear idea of what I was going to do and who I was going to be when I was at school. It just didn't happen that way. So, uh, you know, while I was at school, my ambition was to be a journalist. I grew up in the Northeast. Um, the first female war reporter was Kate Adie, and I had it in my mind that I was going to be the next Kate Adie. I was going to be a journalist. I had that all sorted and lined up. At the time when you graduated, there was uh, journalism apprenticeships, and, and you went and had a training program with them. Um, Thompson and that was the big regional newspaper and that was the training ground for anybody who wanted to be a a reporter broadcast or or paper Um, and I had that sorted and then when I graduated there was a recession all the training programs were cancelled and I had to go away and find something else to do something useful Um, Mm. and I took a one-year job being a researcher in the European Parliament and I never went back and I've never been the next stage AD. Okay well I know that you went to Cambridge University But how important do you think actually is to go to university, especially with apprenticeship schemes and graduate schemes that lots of different companies now offer young people? I think it really depends on the person as to what they want to do. And any Uh advice I give to young people is that you shouldn't be going to university because you want a particular qualification. It should be about a life experience and it should be about doing something that you love. So I always tell people, which is is probably completely counter to what the careers Mm -hmm. advice that everybody gets, is pick a subject that you love. If you're going to spend three years doing it, what employers value is the discipline that a degree teaches you and the type of research and the type of activity that you 
you're engaged in that demonstrates the skill set that you've learned, English, history, um, or one of the vocational degrees where, where you're in STEM. Um, but it really should be something you enjoy doing and something you feel passionate about. There is nothing worse than spending three years doing something you hate just because you think you're going to get a good job at the end of it or because it's, it's necessary. Now, there are some roles for which a particular degree is essential if you're going to move on. But they are few and far between. Um, and now people can choose to do degree apprenticeships, to be a teacher, to be a doctor, and to get the best of both worlds by being able to work and learn at the same time. So I think it's really then about why are you going to university? Is it about the life experience and the love of learning and that intensity? If it's about a vacation, then I, I do recommend people look and explore apprenticeships at a greater level and also look at the kind of vocational careers that you can can explore as well because there are degree apprenticeships in uh, places like hospitality which can give you a really good accelerated progress to becoming into management levels and running your own business effectively um, that, that allow you to be able to to have that experience and to be able to earn at the same time so I think it really does depend on what people are wanting to do with their lives and why they're wanting to go to, to Cambridge to university I mean personally I really relished going to university because it gave me that sort of moment of being able to to leave a small town where I grew up, go and expand and, and as say, take that love of learning. But then I, I did English, which is not necessarily the type of degree that lots of people choose to do if they, they're thinking about careers and future. But I think at the moment we get young people too focused from too young an age on what the output is when they get to 21 and where they're going to be working rather than looking at what's right for them at each part of the journey, what topics they should be choosing to study, where can they get the best results and what's best and right for them. Yeah, definitely. So the world is changing so much and also quite quickly too. Um, what do you think work for women may look like in 10 years time then? Um, or perhaps what do you hope it may look like instead? Well, I think one of the advantages we've got, which COVID has accelerated, and I do try and look for the positives in something like COVID, but COVID has accelerated not just flexible working, but variable hours working. And I think for women, that ability to be able to flex their hours, flex their location of work, fit around uh, other commitments, particularly caring. And often women in the workplace are caring at, at both ends of the age spectrum, young children, but also um, older parents. Um, the, the advantage I think you've got with flexible working and variable working and hybrid working becoming the norm is that it now becomes a, a normal part and parcel of working life that you are not in the office all the time, not available 24-7, not having to fit into a nine to five regime. I think it's really quite interesting that I've now got lots of people on their um, uh, signatures in their emails will say, I choose not to work standard hours I choose to work variable hours and therefore I'll be contacting you outside office hours now that was abnormal when I started at work it was very rigid nine to five when I had my children if you sort of made excuses about having to finish at three in order to go to school um, sports day and making up the hours in the evening now that is entirely normal and the more we normalize it not just for women but for men and other people in the workplace whether they've got children or not the easier it is for everybody to choose to have a better work-life balance so I think going forward for women in, in the workplace in particular they won't have to make compromises and sacrifices as much as the generation before did 
in order to demonstrate their worth or to demonstrate that they're not somehow cutting corners or not giving their all. And that won't hold them back when it comes to career development, because if men are also looking yeah. at compressed hours, compressed working weeks, career breaks, and it becomes normal for both partners to, to take on some of that childcare responsibility, then you don't have those same sacrifices. Yeah, definitely. I think COVID definitely allowed for more flexible working. And in a way, I think that's better for people. As you mentioned, if people have children and they need to pick their child up from school or do anything related to that, um, it's a lot easier to do that. And it's kind of seen as more of a norm. Um, it is. And I, I think I think that's good because you can't always have rigid hours because everyone else has different responsibilities outside of work. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, technology makes it easier for us. Not not every profession can mm. do that. And certainly in hospitality, we have to work at times that are considered unsociable to other people. But it does allow for that flexibility of working hours and working practices. And certainly for anybody who's office based, the technological revolution allows people to do jobs on the move and, and to, to be able to be as productive as they want to be while fitting it in with working remotely, working from home. There is no reason at all why you can't do a, a zoom call while you're also um, on a break or at the weekend or fitting your hours in around wet suits so it can flex at both sides I think we then need to be careful to protect our downtime that work doesn't bleed into every aspect of our daily lives just because we can mm. but it does mean for that greater level of flexibility and then I think you know in, in sectors like mine in hospitality where you are having to be present to be able to deliver service or to be there when customers are there it provides that flexibility as well to be able to to manage a lot of the the administrative side on the road um, and to be able to choose to flex your hours and see that that what was previously considered to be antisocial hours can now be seen as flexible hours that fit around what you're wanting to do with your life or fit yeah. around multiple jobs. Definitely. So as part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. So do you think as a society we are seeing some more equality and maybe especially in hospitality too? I think as a society, we still have quite a way to go. I think if you look at quite a lot of the professions, um, it's it's harder to see that route through. And as we focus more and more on um, university routes um, and you need to have the, the work experience, the opportunities to shadow the internships, I think it's less to do with, with gender and less to do with um, ethnicity and race, although that does come into play. But the bigger issue, I think, is a class one. You know, if I, if I look at my own experience and my children's experience of applying for universities, the life opportunities I was able to give them, the ability to fund their free internships, the ability to call on favours on friends who worked in barristers chambers or who worked in um, parliament those kind of or broadcasting those kind of places that are closed off to too many children from um, inner city backgrounds or deprived backgrounds or who simply don't have that life experience that their parents have, have got an opportunity to to open that up and for many children won't have parents who've been to university I think that is the biggest uh, gap that we need to overcome in hospitality, I think we are the ultimate meritocracy. You don't have to have any any experience, any previous skills, any qualifications to come in and there'll be an entry point, whatever age, whatever level you're at. And we will invest in training and upskilling. And it, you can come from zero 
in under two years to go to management and to be on a salary of forty to 60,000 in hospitality, depending on where in the country you are. There aren't many places that you can work where you can do that and have fun and be part of giving a great night out and an experience to lots of people yeah. and touch their daily lives. So I think we provide a, a great opportunity. We do have, when we measure it in hospitality, the lowest gender pay gap of any industrial sector. In fact, it's often a pay gap the other way around. We have a higher proportion of women on boards. We have a higher proportion of um, ethnic minorities on boards as well than other sectors. We do need to still keep working harder to improve that. But I think the opportunities and the accessibility of hospitality and other sectors that are similar means that we can we can work harder to promote that. Um, and then we need to help those less fortunate than ourselves to have those opportunities to access those other routes through in professions that are a bit more closed off. Mm. So throughout your career, have you had any mentors or have there been anyone in particular that you, you know, admired? Um, I've been fortunate to have quite a large number of informal mentors. And I think it's about not just the formal mentoring schemes, but informally reaching out to those who can be supportive. In fact, an, an awful lot of the, the um, mentors that I had throughout my career, the majority of them have been men. Um, and I think it's as important to have allies as it is to have mentors so that they can champion and promote you and just point out some of the areas that you might be able to work on or think about or have considerations of. Um, and so I've been very fortunate to work for some very inspirational bosses throughout my time. Um, and then latterly, um, I've had the support of great chairmen who, again, have been aware of the challenges that he faces a woman in, in what is a, still a, 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 often a male dominated industry when you get to the top levels, um, not just in our sector, but, but sort of at an industrial level and politics in particular. Um, so I've been able to draw on them from, from walk of life. One of the things I've recently done as well when I started at UK Hospitality was to create a speed mentoring scheme for women, because what we find is most men are quite happy to ask somebody for help and support. There is a ready-made gang. There's a ready-made team that you can get into. Often they bond over sport and that allows them to open up the conversation and have those informal sessions. Um, women are very reticent at putting themselves forward for mentoring, for asking for it. So we did a speed mentoring scheme whereby as a woman you could go and, and meet six to eight different people over the course of one evening and pick their brains about where you wanted some advice that then often turned into formal mentoring, but it didn't need to. It could just be that informal pointer. Um, and I think that's a really helpful model for, for opening up and breaking down barriers to know and understand what mentoring is. Definitely. So do you perhaps still have any personal professional ambitions that you wish to fulfill? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I've never been a particularly goal-driven person in, in my life. I mean, I, I sort of knew that I wanted to hit various milestones. Um, but I think, you know, as I've got older and I've achieved more of those personal ambitions that I have, they've become less important. I think being happy and content and having happy and content children becomes a, a, a greater focus of my ambitions as I, as I go forward. So they're probably more personal than they are professional. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I would like to be on question time. I think <laughs> I'd quite like to do something like that. It's one thing I've never done. Um, I would like to give a speech in the Houses of Parliament at some point. Um, but other than that, no, um, I think the, the ambitions then are happy, healthy, lives for myself and my family and and then making sure that my daughters are supported to achieve their full potential 
Yeah, I think that's great. And I think question time is definitely a good way to go. <laughs> I think it'd be quite good fun. Yeah, you often yeah. look at it and you think there's there are not enough people that look and feel and sound like ourselves uh, that are just from a normal background. So I'd quite like to give that one a go. Yeah. So what tips would you give girls when they start to think about, you know, their own careers and their own futures? I think my biggest one would be not to limit yourself because you know, when I went through my career, apart from probably two phases, so at, at the start I had a clear plan and, and it, it went um, and it didn't happen that way. But apart from that, it's only two stages of my career right at the end of my career that I have actively planned and worked to try and achieve. So I think don't limit yourself. Be open to other possibilities. Be open to different ways of working and seize every opportunity that you can that comes your way because you never know what you might really enjoy and love so always take those opportunities I think you can get too fixated on one path and be blind to other avenues that come up Um, so uh, alongside that I would always say say yes if people offer you an experience an opportunity to try something new say yes what's the worst that can happen you'll not like it and you can find another route through to doing it but open yourself up to other opportunities and then my other one which as I've got older and I've got further up, more senior in my career, the one that I always come back to is lift as you climb. If you make that progress, if you go ahead and pioneer something, and, you know, in my in my roles, I have been one of the first females to do X, Y, and Z, um, or I have been one of only a few female leaders. So I always think it's incumbent upon you, if you've broken the way forward, don't pull up the ladder behind you. Reach down, make it easier. You've got a legacy that you've got to deliver, and it's incumbent upon you. It's your duty to, to leave that legacy behind. It's all too easy to say, I had it hard. You've got to work your way through. I think we we should be pushing back down and reaching up and pulling people up. And if we all do that, we make it easier for everybody and everybody can follow that path of lift as you climb. Definitely. So if you could spend an hour just chatting to, say, three people over a coffee, maybe a tea, maybe like a pastry, it's really up to you and where you go with this. Um, Who would they be and why? Oh, um, I, I think... I think I would quite like to sit down and have a gin with Theresa May. Um, I can't go back to Margaret Thatcher, but I would like to understand for those people who really did break the mould or push hard and understand what kept them going and how they managed to get through. Somebody like a Theresa May, I think, would be quite interesting to understand how she managed to stay sane during those chaotic years of Brexit. Um. Then I think, and I know she's a a gin and a a coffee drinker, so I'd go for gin with her. Um, Equally, I think I'd like to uh, sit down and have a glass of something fizzy with um, Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, it's my political bent coming out that I'd quite like just to know and understand how, how you manage that. How does it feel? How do you pick yourself back up? And I think that's an important lesson for all of us to learn. You're going to get hit by disappointments. How on earth do you pick yourself back up after um, all of those kind of difficult challenges? And then um, I don't drink whiskey, but I have a feeling that she would drink whiskey. That, that's terrible because I've just chosen all alcoholic drinks. But um, I, I really would like to sit down with Debbie Harry. Okay. 
um because i think she's quite iconic uh as a woman and as a, a performer um and uh, i had the biggest crush on her when i was growing up and so i'd quite like to meet her they say never meet your 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 idols but i'd quite like to meet her so what would you say are your non-negotiables too? So basically just the things that you really just don't compromise on in both your personal and your professional life. Um, I don't compromise on family time. Okay. If I've committed, I, I give up so much of my family time and miss so much of their lives. I have a fantastic husband who covers and does all of the, the wraparound stuff. But if I've committed, um, then I, I don't compromise on that. Um, and I, I think the other thing is that I've learned over time. If you try and do everything and be everything to everybody, you're never giving 100 percent of yourself. So if you compromise too much, you're n never a good enough mother. You're never good enough at work. You're never a good enough whatever. Um, and I think women are quite, quite good at telling ourselves we're not good enough. So if I've decided that family time, then that is sacrosanct and that's not breachable. Um, the the other there's two other sort of non-negotiables that I have um, never make a promise if you can't keep it either to me or by me if I don't think I can do something then I, I'm not going to to sort of promise that I'll do it but if I've made a promise and commit to it then I'm going to commit to it and I'm a very loyal person and I value loyalty very highly um, because it, it means an awful lot if you've got people you can trust and rely on and that people know they can trust me and then my third one which is non-negotiable in order to be a functioning human being I do need to have a half an hour in the bath and a half an hour reading every night <laughs> I think and then that that gives me my me time. Yeah, I think those are some good non-negotiables. Um, it's always good to have time with family, time for yourself, because otherwise it's just non-stop work. And let's be honest, however much you love your job, that is never fun. Yes, uh, and even <laughs> somebody like me who is lives and breathes and adores their job and is always happy to be working 24 7 you're mm. not going to be able to give the best of yourself unless you look after yourself and find some downtime and that's yeah. going to be different for everybody for me I loathe exercise so it's not a question everybody tells me you should go for a run and you should do this and and I, I can't do any of those but a bath and a book and I lose myself and then my brain switches off yeah just before we go, though, can you tell me a little bit about how you felt when you heard that you had been awarded an OBE? Um, incredibly emotional. Um, I mean, my first instinct, as with a lot of these things, is to, to want to tell my dad. And I, I lost my dad 17 years ago and I still feel that I want to tell them. And then secondly, incredibly proud um, because, uh, you know, my background is a mining community in the northeast of England. It was a sink comprehensive where, you know, there wasn't much aspiration. Um, I had a fantastic family life that, that gave me that intellectual um, curiosity and gave me uh, the unconditional love and assurance that I could do whatever I wanted to do. But, you know, to come from that background and to then be successful and get an OBE felt like, um, uh, you know, a, a a validation of a, a lot of people who would have put in time, energy and effort, all my teachers, all the people in my background and particularly my mum 
Um, so I felt very proud on her behalf um, that it, it recognised that level of achievement um, and, and sort of slightly overwhelmed, given that it was all on the background of COVID. Um, and that was a very emotional time because I knew that I had lots of people in the industry, you know, three, three million people working in the industry who needed me to do my job to my best of my ability. And so I felt as though I was getting it on their behalf as well and in recognition of everything they'd been through. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Kate. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their own futures and in their own careers, too. So keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us are at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our partners and sponsors, Experian, Barclays, Domestic in General, Staffline and the Ardonna Group. Thank you.